Welcome to the Hudson Wesleyan Church Podcast, a recording of the weekly messages of Pastor Wesley Rowan during the Sunday worship service. We trust the time you spend listening will enhance your relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, here is Pastor Wes. We've already heard it. I'm not going to read the scriptures again for you, uh, except to say that the beauty of the Easter message is in the variety of people who experienced it on that morning and in different ways and uh, with different even responses on that day. I want you to think back with me very briefly about all the people who had experienced everything that had already happened during Holy Week, from Jesus riding in to Jerusalem on the donkey through his time spent in the city teaching that week. He drives out the people who are buying and selling in the temple. He ends up celebrating uh, the Passover with his disciples, the Last Supper. Then he's arrested, and he goes through the trial and the other trial, and he is uh, tortured and eventually taken out to the hill called Golgotha, where he was crucified. He's, he is put to death there. He's executed and laid in a tomb, and that is the preface for everything that happened Sunday morning. I want you to think about the people who are experiencing Easter on that morning and what they had already been through that week. I would start you off with Peter. Peter, the denier the one who couldn't even stand up to say, yes, I know who Jesus is. Didn't want to be associated with him. Peter, the guy who in the garden opted for physical force instead of the way of Jesus, when Jesus said, put away your sword, because Peter was ready to go to war for Jesus. He would swing the sword, but he wouldn't stand up in a crowd and say, I know who he is. So when Jesus dies... Peter is not just at a low point. He's at the kind of low point where the last interaction that you had with your best friend was a bad one, where you, you betrayed them, you mistreated them, and then he never really has an opportunity to talk to Jesus about it, and Jesus is now hanging on the cross. That is what is running through Peter's mind as he races to the tomb behind John. And when John pauses there in the door, as we read a little while ago, Peter just bursts right on past him into the tomb. He's got to touch it. He's got to feel it. He's got to see it with his own eyes and know whether or not it is possible that everything that he thought was the end of the story was really just the darkest part of the story. But there are others Think about the rest of the disciples who had run away. In the garden when Jesus is arrested, they take off running. They're afraid of getting arrested too. At the cross, if they're anywhere to be found, they are sort of standing off to the side, maybe with the exception of John, who is mentioned specifically. They're hiding in a room after Jesus' crucifixion when the resurrection occurs. They're, they're just afraid that they might be next. This one that they had followed and that they had put all of their hope in and all of their expectation in and that they were wanting to know was the Messiah. They, they, they had said that. They had taught it. They had seen the miracles. Surely this must be the Messiah. And now he's gone. He's dead. Then how is it possible? 
As the word slowly starts to spread from one to the other, the women come back from the empty tomb and start telling the story. They are thinking, could it be? Maybe there is more, and why shouldn't there be? Every time we thought he couldn't do something, he did it for the last three years. Why should death be the end? But could it be, is there possibly hope? I think about Thomas, the one who more than anything else just wanted to know what he knew. And he struggles with the testimony that comes from the other disciples. In fact, even after so many of them said they had seen him personally, Thomas says, look, until I see him, until I touch him, until I've got verifiable evidence, I'm not going to believe. That's, that's Thomas's response. I think about Mary who had gone to the tomb that morning, confused, uncertain. What's going on? See, she assumed maybe that someone else had let her down. She, who had lived such a rocky and difficult life anyway, had found hope in Jesus. And here, she's left wondering and worrying. Maybe that hope was misplaced. Or maybe he was worthy of my love and my adoration, but nothing has come of it. He still ends up dead. He still ends up hanging on a Roman cross. He still ends up buried in a tomb. He goes the way that all men and women go. So what was it worth? And she feels perhaps abandoned again. John, who had given up anything, and everything, his business, his inheritance essentially in the family business to go and follow Jesus. And he had faithfully stood by Jesus' side. He's kind of the level-headed one in the group. He's got a very close relationship with Jesus. And now his lasting memory is standing at the cross next to Mary, the mother of Jesus, as Jesus delegates responsibility for his mother to one of his best friends. In John's mind, this doesn't sound like the words of somebody who's planning to come back in a few days. No, this is the end. This is his will. This is it. And speaking of Mary, Jesus' mother, who without a doubt of all the people standing at the cross had no doubt, and of, of all the people had no doubt in her mind that Jesus was indeed who he claimed to be. Everyone else was going off of the evidence that they saw. Mary was going off the evidence that she had experienced. She knew that she had been a virgin mother. Nobody else could verify that except her. So when she is standing at the cross, she's not doubting that he is who he claimed to be. She's wondering why this is the way that the story comes to a conclusion. She's watching her son, just a little over 30 years old, tortured and murdered, and there's nothing she can do about it. And she weeps at the cross. But there are some others that we don't often think about. They weren't the people who loved Jesus, who also are part of that story, and they're experiencing Easter on Sunday morning like everyone else. I think of the guards who are standing outside of the tomb, just doing their job, except they had never really been given a job of guarding a dead man before. 
You don't usually have to guard the dead ones. They aren't a risk. But here they are. Some of them probably either had stood around the cross or at least knew of friends in, in, the, in the guard who had stood at the cross, maybe participated in the whipping, been there at the judgment. And they had heard the stories, maybe even heard how the centurion had uttered the words, surely this man must have been the Son of God. And yet for all of that, here we are, He's dead in the tomb, and there's nothing that's going to happen, nothing he can do about it. We're just here to make sure his followers don't come and steal the body. They had gambled for his clothes at the foot of the cross, just passing the time, waiting for the shift to be over, and now some of them stand guard at the tomb doing the same thing, just waiting for the sun to come up and for their shift to end and for their relief to come so they can go home. I think of the religious leaders who would rather bow at the pagan governmental authority of Caesar's throne than accept that a humble, loving lamb of God could be the Messiah. They had cried out on that day to Pilate, we have no friend, no king but Caesar, and if you do not crucify this Jesus, then you must be no friend of Caesar or the Roman government. They wielded political power to the extent that they could to get their way, much like Peter had wielded the sword to try to get his way. And even once Pilate allowed the crucifixion to move forward, they had stood there to make sure that it was all according to their plan. Don't write on the sign above his head, the king of the Jews. Just write that he said he was the king of the Jews. When Jesus is dead and taken off the cross, they want to make sure, they hurry to the officials, give us some guards at the tomb. We don't want anybody to say that something happened to him. That he rose. We don't want his followers to come and steal his body. Put the guard there. These manipulative, scheming religious leaders who could not fathom that God would do what he was doing are also characters in the Sunday morning story. Because the resurrection was also for them. It was for the disciples. It was for Mary. It was for his mother. It was for the soldiers. It was for the religious leaders. The resurrection was for Pilate, who had passed down the sentence of death under pressure, political pressure, from those Jewish leaders. The resurrection was for Barabbas, who had been released. This man who had participated in an uprising against the government and murdered people in the process. He was scheduled to die. And when Pilate says, would you like me to release Jesus to you because it's the Passover and I usually release a criminal, so let's just make it Jesus and we'll call it a wash. I don't really want to crucify him anyway. You want him crucified, but we usually release somebody. Let's call it a wash. And they said, no, give us Barabbas. Give us the murderer. Give us the one who is willing to rise up against the government and again, use the sword of physical violence 
to try to obtain our way. He's released from prison and may or may not ever have known anything about why he was released, may or may not have known who Jesus ever was. But as evil as that man apparently had been, the resurrection story was as much for him as it was for Jesus' own mother. Because Jesus said, I came to seek and to save the lost. And that when he rose from the dead, it proved that the reason that he had came was accurate and true. The resurrection was for the thief on the cross next to Jesus who had died alongside of him. The one who just minutes before he expired looks over and says, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus says, yeah, you're going to be with me this day in paradise. Do you understand that that promise that he made to that thief is empty and void if the tomb isn't empty on Sunday morning? Jesus could say whatever nice things he wanted from the cross to that thief. But if Jesus is still on the tomb come Sunday morning, then that man has no hope. And so it was for him, though he had never done a thing in his life probably worth forgiving. From our perspective, we would have never done it. But just in those last few moments, he reaches out. The resurrection was for the crowd who had followed him into Jerusalem singing Hosanna and then turned around a few days later and said, crucify him. Those who were just caught up in the moment, they were excited because things were happening and they were getting on the bandwagon and really didn't know whether this is true or not. Could it be? Nope, he's dead. They buried him. I guess it was just a thing. The resurrection was for them. For the betrayer, for the weak, for the coward, for the weeping, for the hurting, for those who had lost, for those who didn't even understand, for those who had turned their backs on him, for those who had shouted for his death. Jesus rose from the dead for every one of them. We often think Jesus died for all of them, and that's true. But he also rose for every one of them. And now here you are, and here I am, on Easter Sunday morning, coming in to worship, coming in to church, singing the songs, reading the scriptures, hearing the music, doing all the things that are part of the pageantry, if you will, of celebrating Easter Sunday morning. And no doubt, I don't know all of your stories, but for some of you, this is part of your regular habit of celebrating a personal interaction with a God who is not dead. For some of you, you're here because Easter came around and you realize you haven't been to church in a while and maybe you thought you should come. Some of you are here because somebody invited you. Some of you are here because somebody told you you had to come. That's okay. But I want to tell you something. Whatever landed you in this seat this morning, the resurrection is for you whether you take it or not, it's for you. You say, I'm not sure. 
I'm not sure I really believe it. I mean, it's a nice idea to celebrate, and there's, there's nothing wrong with that, I guess. But really, could Christianity really claim to be the truth out of all the world religions? Is it even possible that a God exists? Is it really feasible that someone rose from the dead? I don't know. I, I'd love for it to be true, but I'm not sure. There were people on Easter Sunday morning who didn't know, never even acted like they knew. Some of them flat out denied that it could be true, but it was still for them, and it was still real. Some of you are here this morning, you're like, I know that it's true, but I know I'm not where I need to be, right? We're, we're kind of in that role of Peter, maybe. We're saying, yeah, I mean, I believe, and I, I have believed, and maybe I've even walked with the Lord, but you know what? I'm looking back at the, our most recent interactions, and I'm not, I've not been the kind of person that I ought to be. And doesn't God get tired, after all, of me coming back to him and saying, I'm going to do better? Doesn't God grow weary a little bit of, of me saying, now I'm in, now I'm out, now I'm not sure? I'm here to tell you that Easter is for you. Some of you have believed, but have maybe at times been inclined to turn to anything else that makes more physical sense to orient your life to. It's not that you don't believe that God is real, but much like Thomas, you want the things you can hang on to, the things you can grab hold of. So you work very hard to make sure that the things in your life are ordered and in place and that you have the things that you need. And when things go crazy or sideways on you, you have a tendency to buckle down and grip even harder. Because the idea of surrendering all of yourself to a God that you cannot see seems beyond what you can handle. But the resurrection is for you. Some of you, particularly some of you of a younger generation, are watching adults and people who are church folks and you're wondering, is this a genuine thing? Could it be real? And is it maybe something that I should latch on to later in my life after I've kind of lived out the years, my younger years the way that I want to live them? Maybe you're seeing things from Christians or, or church folks who maybe it confuses you and you say, I, I don't, is that really what Christianity is all about? Maybe you're deconstructing your own faith Picking it apart, not to say that you don't want it, but to say, I want the real deal. I want to get rid of the trappings. And I want to know that what I'm believing in is the genuine article. And maybe you feel guilty for that because somehow you feel like you're not believing when really you're just trying to work through what is true. Maybe you're disillusioned. Maybe being in church anymore is just something that you do from time to time, but it has no personal meaning to you of your relationship with God. Maybe you flat out don't want to be here today. It's possible. You might have thought of 50 things you'd rather have done than go to church this morning, and you're really just here and enduring it because whoever told you you had to come promised you ham afterwards. I don't know. It's possible. I want to tell you, the resurrection is for you. And some of you may be here and are experiencing loss 
in one way or another that is so profound that like the ones who stood around the foot of the cross, John, loving Jesus, you walk away feeling, if this is what he has to offer me, then I don't know if I can abide it. I don't know if I can handle it. I don't know if it's really worth it because you're hurting inside. I want to tell you that the resurrection is for you. What does it mean for the resurrection to be for you? It means that the evidence of the empty tomb is sufficient to say that wherever you are at on that spectrum with God, he still holds the door open to a relationship with you. He loves you. This is not a rabbi, a teacher who went around saying nice things and doing good stuff for people and then went on his way and eventually died in some obscure and was buried in some obscure tomb never to be seen again. No, the God of the universe loved you enough, though all of us were dead, the Bible tells us, in our trespasses and sins. In other words, we were so much enemies of God by our natural behavior, liars and cheats and selfish and proud, hateful by our own natural inclinations. But the God of the universe, though we were such rebels against him, would look down on us and say, I'm going to send my son for you because Jesus dying on the cross engages the mechanism for God's wrath against sin so that it could open the door for him to forgive you for every wrong thing you've ever done. And the empty tomb proves that he did exactly what he said he was going to do. You see, Jesus saying that he was going to die for our sins and then going and dying doesn't prove anything. It's a nice sound. That, that, that makes a really good statement to his disciples that he was going to die for them. But him going and dying doesn't prove anything. As long as he was laying in that tomb, it didn't prove anything. He rose from the dead to bring us back into right relationship with God, the Bible tells us. The reality of forgiveness and hope and eternal life and reconciliation wherever you're at, wherever you want to be, Jesus invites you to this journey. And it's not all about church attendance. It's not all about reading your Bible. And it's not all about your friend group. And it's not all about the, the, thing, the mu music you listen to. But all of the things that we do in worship as the body of Christ, stemming from Scripture, call us deeper into that relationship with Him. And so I want to invite you this morning to take a step forward in that relationship. Now here's the thing. I've just listed a whole bunch of points on the spectrum where you might be this morning. I'm not asking any of you to jump to the end of the continuum. I'm asking, would you like to take one step deeper into embracing the resurrection that was for you. 
as we get ready to end our service this morning, I want to invite you to something. Jesus, when he was celebrating that last Passover with his disciples, gave them this bread and the cup. And he said that it was going to be his body and his blood that was going to be given for them in just a very short period of time on the cross. And so this morning, we reenact that with celebrating communion. Now, if you're here this morning... And this is the point of the service, and I feel you because I'm usually this way when I go visit other churches. This is the point of the service where you start going, oh, crap, what am I supposed to do now? All right? Let me tell you. Communion is open to anybody who is saying, I want to take that next step closer to Jesus. Don't, maybe don't even know what it's going to look like, but I want to be more with him because it's a free gift. In just a few minutes, Darcy's going to come and sing for us, and I'm going to invite you to come forward if you want to. If you want to stay seated where you are, that's fine. We're not, we're not taking attendance. We don't have a master checklist this morning. You're welcome to stay. You're welcome to stand. You're welcome to go. You're welcome to come, okay? But if you would like to come, and by coming, just say, I want more of that relationship with Jesus, then I would invite you. I would also invite you, if you want, there in your pews, you will find these little cards. They look like this. They're right in front of you, right next to the hymnal rack. If you are somewhere in your life this morning and you just want to say, even anonymously, hey, I'm taking that next step closer to Jesus, or maybe, maybe I'm asking him to begin a relationship with me because I have not had one. There's a place on that card, a couple of boxes, you can check one off if you want. Or even if you don't want to do that, there's a place on the back where you can write whatever you want. And I'm the only person that's going to see these. And you don't even have to put your name on it if you don't want to. I would just like to be able to pray for the people in our congregation who are wanting to take that step. So if you take one of these cards out and you want to write your name on the back or you just want to write something that you're, you're thinking or feeling on the back, or if you want to check off one of those boxes in the front, then when you come forward, because if you're willing to do, if you're doing that, then I would invite you, come, take of the communion. There's little baskets right here on these tables where you can just drop this card in very easily. When you come up, nobody else has to know. Nobody else is going to read it. I'm going to collect them right after the service is over. And you can just leave this in that basket as your step in taking a deeper relationship with Jesus. My friends, if you've never asked him to forgive you of your sins, he is offering it to you this morning. Take it freely. And I would love to pray about that with you. I'd love for you to fill out one of these cards just so I can be praying for you. And if you want me to follow up in a private conversation, just give me your name or phone number or something and I'll follow up with you. It doesn't need to be a big public thing. I'd love to talk to you about it if you would want to. But that's what those cards are there for. But more than anything, I want us to participate and what Jesus is offering us. So here's how we're going to do this. In just a moment when she starts singing, I'm going to invite you, if you want to come, to come towards the center aisle from your pew and come down this way, and we have two tables set up so you can go both ways. Take of the bread and of the cup and take them around the outside to go back to your pews, and you can be seated once you're there. When her song is over, we're all going to eat and drink at the same time, remembering that we're all in the body of Christ when we are willing to take that next step with him. My friends, Jesus loves you.
And he died to show it. You can come on up, Darcy. He died to show it, and he rose to prove it was real. And he is inviting you in the next step of your journey with him this morning if you're just ready, if you'll just do it. Lord, we are thankful that you would love us so much that you would die for us. And we rejoice in what you offer us, forgiveness of sins and life everlasting. So now as we come and we take and we remember and we celebrate a bloody cross and an empty tomb, may it be about you drawing us closer in relationship. This message is a ministry of Hudson Wesleyan Church, where our mission is to see lives transformed for the glory of God. For more information, you may contact the church at 517-448-6411 or at hudsonwesleyan.org. Thank you for listening, and may God richly bless you.